0: Welcome to Black to the Beginning, the Black Adoption Podcast, where we are amplifying the Black adoption conversation with Black adoptee voices and Black families at the center. We're your hosts, Dr. Sam
1: and Sandria, two Black adoptees adopted by Black families still trying
0: to make sense of our adoption journeys. We have all been touched by adoption, whether we realize it or not. You just don't hear our stories until now.
1: Every birth has a story. So So let's let's go go Black
0: Black to to the the beginning. Beginning.
1: Welcome Black y'all. It is Black to the Beginning, the Black Adoption Podcast. I'm Sandria. And I'm Dr. Sam. And we are joined tonight with Janai Thornton. She is the money coach extraordinaire. She's going to teach you how to make some money, how to save some (laughs) money, and how to grow your money. So you can find all of her nuggets of wisdom. You've probably heard her on the Ricky Smiley Morning Show or our fellow adoptee brethren, the Willie Moore Jr. Show. You can also check her out on Instagram, her YouTube channel, or her website, Janai Thornton. But tonight you are going to hear her talk about another piece of her story and her work that is just as equally as important as what she's doing around finances and that is her adoption story and so we are just so honored tonight to be in conversation to hear her take us back to the beginning <laughs> with her story so thank you for joining the podcast Janai.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to be here. I am so excited to be here. I cannot wait to talk to y'all.
1: Yes. Well, look, we are not going to let you wait any longer. <laughs> We're going to jump in and have you take us back to the beginning, as we like to say. And let's start the conversation off with just tell us about your childhood and growing up with your mother, Beverly, whom you just
2: She she was a phenomenal woman. So I'm born in Rochester, New York, born and adopted in Rochester, New York. And I think what's kind of unique about my story is, I'm 52, I was born in 1969, and I just have no idea why in 1969 my mother could adopt me as a single parent. Mm. So very, very unusual for that time. And, you know, obviously married couples clearly got precedent of, you know, who was in line to get kids. So my mother couldn't have children and she had lived with a cousin in high school who had adopted two children. And I think that's where my mother got the idea from that, that she could and and that she would. So when She waited for two years and I came available and I was born. And I honestly, I don't ever remember not knowing that I, that I wasn't adopted. Like my whole life, I've always known literally my entire life I've known. And I think part of it is my mother was an educator and she was a guidance counselor And I think there was some psychology going on that she kind of had a very proactive strategy of just telling me. And I think she started talking to me about it even before I was old enough to understand it. I don't even think I know what it meant because I never remember not knowing.
1: Do you remember some of the ways that she would bring adoption into the conversation or how she... Would introduce it to you when you were younger,
2: and, and you know what, Sandria? I don't remember because I literally think I had to be before I understood it—like two years old, three years old. Like from the beginning, she was talking to me about it. So I never remember like this: sit down or anything. It just it it was just part of who I was. To me, it it was no different than being black and being female to me. Mm. It was that regular and normal for me. And not only did my mother talk about it, but my family openly talked about it around me. So I just remember times like being around my grandmother, or you know, maybe we're at a family gathering. And if they were trying to remember when something happened, they say, Oh, was that before Beverly you and I or after? You know how like you're trying to kind of get your dates together. So everybody in my family talked about it. Um, Not like it was like they went out of their way to discuss it, but it just never occurred to me that it was a big deal. I didn't realize it was more of a big deal until like I got in school. And because my mother, um, obviously I'm light-skinned, my mother was brown-skinned. And then people would always be like, so who's your father? You know, is your there's, where I'm from, there's a lot of Puerto Ricans. So people always assumed I was Puerto Rican or is your father Puerto Rican? Is your father white? And then of course I have to tell kids, I don't have a father. Mm-hmm. And then, like, wait a minute, you know clearly that doesn't make any sense. Um, but to say, oh yeah, well, you know, I'm adopted. My mother adopted me as a single parent and maybe that's another reason why she had to tell me too.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, because you know, my mother was never married. She was never married. And so when I would try to explain to kids the story, you know, uh, I'm adopted. My mother adopted me as a single parent. She was never married. You know, most of the kids never believed me.
1: Because that's just so over (laughs) over
2: their head. Absolutely. Like, it just never made sense. So I would come home and tell my mom, like, hey, mom, I had this discussion. So-and-so was asking me these questions. And then my mom would say, don't worry about it. I'll handle it. Mm. You know, she was a handler. So I think there was a way of her kind of circling back, having some discussions with people about their questions or whatever they had going on. So, you know, she did. When I was 12, she adopted another child, my brother, who was four at the time. So I had one, two, three, four. I can think of four other cousins that I had, like closely related, who were also adopted. And I think that also helped to normalize it for me too, because I I was the oldest one and I had another aunt also like my mother who couldn't have children. Same thing. She adopted a girl and then a boy. Um, I had another aunt who was also my babysitter. She had a lot of children, but she always had foster kids, fell in love with one of the foster kids and adopted him. So we were all together together. You know, I just I just kind of always knew it. And I honestly thought that that was normal until later on in life when I became an adult. And then I found out like, like people don't know the whole time that they are. Like, I never knew that it existed until I became an adult.
1: Listen.
2: I didn't know that that was possible.
1: Here, your story is just so fantastic because you had a village and we talk about that a lot on the podcast. Yeah. Having a village, whether you're an adoptee, a birth parent and a right. like you need to have that support system. And you have that in your family
2: the whole time. And I, and I'm sure my mother Beverly died in 2000 and I'm sure she was probably intentional again, being in education. She had a PhD. I'm sure she was kind of thinking about how she wanted, you know, this to play out. And if it's not a scarlet letter, if it's not bad, then why wouldn't we talk about it? Like, what's the big deal? So again, I have people in my life, I think who helped me really kind of normalize it. I think it was more different not having a father to me than um, particularly since I didn't have a father. You know, your father might not be in your life. Like I literally did not have one because here you go, I'm adopted My mother was never married. And, you know, here we go. But that to me probably was a bigger adjustment than being adopted.
1: Mm. How did your your emotions and your feelings over time change around that fatherhood piece? Because it sounds like you were pretty well adjusted from the adoptee, adoptee standpoint, because it wasn't even like you were. And adoptee, like this is right. my wife, this is you know, yeah. my daughter, these are my right. this is my right. brother. So right. that wasn't a thing, but then other children made this fatherhood piece a thing. So did you start to really think about that more?
2: You know, I was thinking about that today, preparing for today. I, I think I'm looking at it now through the lens of a parent. You know, I have two adult children. So now I'm sure as a parent, obviously there had to be something that I was missing, you know, just because of that whole dynamic of, of, you know, having the opportunity to have a relationship. My mother dated someone about 12 years of my life who I loved, but it was clear that he was not my father. You know, she didn't play that at all. So she, it it was her ship and it was going her way. Um, I think, you know, I just remember being a teenager. (laughs) I think I was probably about 15 or 16. And I remember my mother being very emotional. She was just so upset. She was like, I can't believe that I didn't give you a father. I know that you really needed that. And I just remember looking at her saying, you know what, mom? All I need is just one more person telling me what to do. Um, Because you know, you're a teenager, you don't want to ask, you know, who wants to be bothered with their parents, people running your life telling you what to do. I'm like, I'm good. And she said, I promise you, I will never bring that up again. I will never bring that up. So, you know, I don't think I really struggled with it. You know, obviously in the black community it's not really unusual not to have a father too. So I, I wasn't an outlier with that. So I don't really remember really struggling with it other than I think, um, I've known my husband since I was 14. And um, I think it was always important for me to have a relationship though. And maybe that was kind of my way of filling it. You know, when I was able to start dating, I kind of always was in a relationship with somebody. And maybe that was kind of my way of, you know, that male companionship, whatever it is, just trying to fill that gap.
0: You know, just listening to your story from where you started to where we're at at this point, I think you just really dispelled the myth that Black people do not formally adopt, because a lot of times we have this conversation around like the informal adoption that takes place, you know, but just hearing what it sounds like your experience Mm
1: -hmm. is
0: like the formal adoption piece was was all through your family. So whether it was through the private agency, whether it was through foster care or yeah. you it was there, it was normalized. And very I really much. like the words that you use, which is like a proactive strategy. So I very. think even hearing yeah. that, you know, for our listeners is that adoption is an option for you, whether it be through private agency or foster care, but to go in it very intentionally and that it can be successful and your story is really just kind of shining that light like hey like this was not uh, a poor experience you know for you
2: and I think you know my mom was very direct and I think this was her way of just saying you know what let me just get ahead of this you know let me go ahead on I'm not gonna allow this thing to be a thing so, and even as an adult, you know, my mother died when I was 30. I just don't even remember as an adult having a conversation about, you know, well, why did you tell me this way? How did you handle it? Because it was still so normal for me. I just never even thought about it. I Honestly, I think I probably thought that's how everybody pretty much dealt with it. Because in my immediate household and then with my other cousins, that's the way we, we all handled it. You know, we all knew that we were, you know, people openly talked about it. Um, it, it just I just didn't think it was a big deal.
0: So I want to go back to what you were talking about as it related to your father and how the lack of one may have even contributed to like how you moved in terms right. of future relationships. Mm-hmm. In thinking about that, like as an aside, how did you approach your own identity? So it sounds like you were super comfortable, right? But at at what point did you begin to feel like, okay, I love these people. This is great. It's normalized. It feels good. But there's something missing to the point of like wanting to search for biological family.
2: Um, Again, I have to give all the credit to my mother. In New York State, you are able to, it's a closed record state or it used to be a closed record state. So anyway, um, but if you, if my, if my adoptive mother registered, if I registered and my biological mother registered at 18, you could get your records. At my 18th birthday, my mother was submitting her form, literally, and then pushing, encouraging me, I'm like, she was form submitted, done. Like let's go. Like like what we doing? Let, let, let's find these people. And I would always tease her. You know, um, my mom. You know, was very professional. But I'm like, girl, you are chronically nosy. You're just <laughs> nosy. Like, shut out, You know. But I think she it was her form way. <laughs> She was like literally as soon as I turned eighteen, she submitted her form. Wow. Like she was on it, like, okay, like, what are we doing, girl? We're we about to put this together. I'm like, no, I am good. So I think it was two things. I think it was her way of giving me permission to be curious. And what she said to me, too, was she wanted to meet them herself because she wanted an opportunity to let them know she did a good job. Mm-hmm. So I think it was her way of saying, you know, thank you for the gift um, and she wanted to do it herself. And I'm like, I am not registering. And it just wasn't important to me. And so as I have I remembered times being younger, one of my best friends, um, as I've done some of my content on adoption, one of my best friends said to me, she remembers Um, helping me go through my mother's stuff, looking for my adoption records. And I'm like, oh, my God, I forgot that I did that. You know, we were teenagers when we did that. So there were times that I would focus on it and then I would put it away. And so I think maybe my mid late 20s, I think I went on ahead and registered with New York State and I would occasionally have conversations with my husband, you know, you think I should do it? No, I'm not going to do it. You know, I'd pick it up and I'd put it down. And then he would always say, I think you should, I think you should. And I had just kind of put it away. And then my son, let me see, he was 27 at the time. I, I think I had brought it up again, that I might think about doing it. And he said, mom, I need you to do it. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, I need to know. I want to know. And as an adoptee, I just kind of thought it was my story and my life because I'm the adopted one. I never looked at it through the lens of my children. And so when my son said that to me, I promise you, it just clicked like that. I'm like, you know what? It is on and popping right now. And it it was almost like it gave me the permission. And honestly, too, ladies, I think... I didn't look because as a mother, I just kind of knew, you know, something had to go down for this to happen. You know, if you're in a great relationship and everything is good and you're stable, those people don't put kids up for adoption. I didn't want to unearth anything. I'm like, I'm sure, you know, someone. Essentially, buried me, like buried that secret, like, oh, come on, you know, we handled that. And I just didn't want to be the one responsible for digging all of that up. So, I, I forever again, you know, I would just kind of oscillate. But when my son Trevor said, I need you to do it, I was like, that's all I needed to hear. And I just got to, you know, got to, got to search it.
1: And you bring up such a good point about not wanting to be the one to unearth something. Mm -hmm. Because even in my situation, I found my birth mother and siblings and some aunts. I found them on Facebook a year before we ever had contact. So I kind of stalked them on Facebook because I knew their names. (laughs) I went through their pages and their profiles, but I didn't want to be the one to slide in their DMs and be like, hey, and pop up mm-hmm. like a ghost, not yeah. knowing mm-hmm. what the circumstance was. gonna be. Somebody who essentially, like you said, buried it, yeah. forget about it, be done. And so there's that, that fine line of, yes, I want to know, I feel like I deserve to know, but I also sure. want to pop up on somebody and be hurtful.
2: Yeah. And I did. I just kept thinking about that. I'm like, Mm-mm. I said, I, I don't think everybody's going to be happy about me showing up. That's the story that I kind of kept telling myself. But once again, once my son said that he needed it, not that he wanted it, but he needed it. I was like, okay, I, I need to fill this gap for my children. And so I just you know, started down my ancestry road and between ancestry and Facebook, literally, that's all I needed was ancestry and Facebook and bam, whole story was put together.
1: How long was that process? Did you find your your people quickly?
2: Well, it's funny, and I am very grateful for my husband, David, because at first, I was like, oh, I was scared to take the ancestry test because I'm just, I'm a, I'm a conspiracy theorist. I'm like, oh, I don't want these people having my DNA. And my husband was like, girl, they've been had your stuff. They already got it. It. They got it. Like, what you worried about? Girl, take that test and keep it moving. So it took me a while before I would take the test. Then once I got the test, then I got my results back. Then it took me a minute to be able to actually contact people. So I was kind of slow walking it. And then finally, I mean, the, the story I'm told the sh- super short version of it. When I got my results back, I had a first cousin who had taken the test. And then I had a female. And then I had a man who was either my uncle or my first cousin. Obviously I could tell the two different sides of the family, but of course I didn't know who was on what side and ended up contacting both of them. So the man ended up being my biological mother's brother
1: Mm.
2: who did not know that I existed. Let me just say that, of course. Mm -hmm. And then the first cousin was my father's niece. So that's how it just got the ball rolling for me. And, um, but what really, how I really solved my mystery was I was on the phone with my mom's best friend, just kind of updating her. Oh yeah, I took this DNA test and I'm related to these people, and I gave her the name of you know my my uncle's name, and she said, I know somebody, you know that name. I'm not going to use the name. And I was like, oh, no, no, you don't know them. You know, they're this is his name, and he's from Buffalo. Uh, Again, I was born in Rochester. He's from Buffalo, but he lives in Boston. And then my mom's best friend, Aloma, said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The person I know with that same name is from Buffalo that lives in Boston. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. (laughs) Do not tell me you people knew who the heck I was all this time. And she said, no, I know because my dentist, Dr. Colleen Gordon, who was one of my mother's friends? Um, she lived on the same street as this family. And so, at literally, ladies, at this moment, I'm on the phone with Aloma, Colleen, Dr. Gordon, calls. So, Aloma puts her in three way. And so, I have to tell the whole story again. And then Colleen says, How old are you? And I told her, what year were you born, 1969? She said, oh, that man, he's not your cousin, that's your uncle. And his sister, she said, I remember when she got sent away when I was a teenager, you look just like her. I bet you that's your mother. My dentist grew up on the same street as my biological mother. On the same street, families were friends And then she literally, when I brought it up to her, she was like, oh my God, that has to be your mother. You look just like her. That has to be her. So this woman had been cleaning my teeth my entire life. A very good friend of my adoptive mother and never realized what her connection was on my biological family side. So once I got that piece of information, Because, you know, Rochester and Buffalo were like 45, 50 minutes away from each other. Mm -hmm. Then I was just able to start putting the other pieces together. I was able to find my biological mother from my first cousin. I talked to her mother, was able to find my father, just started putting it together. And I mean, I went from zero to a thousand really, really quickly. And I had to start therapy immediately. Mm. When I tell you I was a hot unraveling mess, like I could not get my foot in. I just felt like I was on a roller coaster that would not stop going down. Mm -hmm. Cause every day it was a new person. Every day it was some new information every day. And I was like, I am not equipped to handle this. Mm. I was unraveling really, really quickly. So I um, thank God I already had somebody in my life and I saw her, and I was like, "Listen, I've got to talk to you." I mean, I literally saw her every week for probably like eight months, six or eight months. Like I was unraveling. I just, I just, and it was all good. I just couldn't get my footing. I just, I just could not get my feet underneath me. I don't know why. I just thought, like, "Oh, I'm gonna figure out who those people are and just go back to my life." And it, I, I just, I wasn't ready. I I was I wasn't ready. Mm-mm.
1: The fact that you had the wherewithal to know immediately that you should get into therapy, I think, is amazing.
2: Oh yeah, I, but I was. I, I promise you, Sandria, if I didn't, I bet you I would not have gotten out the bed. Mm. I, I could not. I just could not function. You know, because you don't know what to expect.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, like who you haven't found your your biological family. And in my head, I don't know why, I just didn't think it was going to be a big deal. And then I just, I could not pull it together. Mm
0: -mm. And see, to your point though, right, about not being able to get out of bed, to Mm -hmm. needing to go into therapy immediately, like it takes me back to the earlier comment that you made about just what adoptees experience all the time, which is when we get on that search and reunion process, we're tiptoeing around. We don't wanna be responsible for anyone else's pain. We don't wanna unearth things that are mm-hmm. actually cause all things. You just said that this information almost had you to a point that you would not have been able to get out of bed had mm-hmm. you not sought therapy immediately. So you have the wherewithal mm-hmm. to do so. How many adoptees don't have the wherewithal to do so.
1: That was me. That was yeah. me. And I, it was mm. a revelation. I just started going to therapy recently. Mm. So this is dang near four years, three years. Wow. Ago. And I told my therapist, because she asked me, she was like, well, why, why didn't you go to therapy right away? And I was right. stuck for an answer because that wasn't even a thought. My thought, mm. I think I was still in shock. Number one. Right. Number two, it was the adrenaline of trying to yep. find information. And yep. I, I got in that rabbit hole, yep. I the rabbit hole. Therapy wasn't even, it wasn't even a thought. I didn't even yeah. consider it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was in that point of not being able to get out the bed and I'm depressed, this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. Fast forward three years later. Now I'm back in therapy, but mm-hmm. I wish. As soon as I got that information from my aunt that I went into therapy, I think
2: that was and what I did was like I said, fortunately I had somebody in my life who I knew could help guide me through this. And, I, and then I just stair stepped myself down. So I literally saw her every week for months and months and months. And then I, I have known my family for four years. I at least still talk to her once a month, period. Mm-hmm. Because And she said, this is going to continue to evolve. And it has. So as as the road has been windy and as I've had different emotions, different experiences, I've needed help, Jesus. And I'm glad that I had a reason to get up. I'm glad that I work. I'm glad I had my own company. I'm glad I had responsibilities. I promise you, If I didn't, there is no way in the world that I I would have been able to. And the other thing too, which I did not realize, I didn't realize that something good could put you on your behind. Mm. I was only used to bad stuff putting you on your butt. I just thought somebody dies, something crazy happens, something bad happens and that can take you out. I never knew something good could put you all the way out. And so I wasn't prepared for that either. I'm like, this is good, but I don't want to get out the bed. Like, like, what is this? So I would not be here today if I didn't have that level of family support at home. I think my husband did an amazing job. It did not become the center of our life at home. Like he protected that. Like, okay, we're going to keep some things normal around here. So he did an amazing job of that and I didn't wanna turn him into my counselor. I needed that to be separate from me. So I did, I needed help the whole time. And like I said, I literally talked to her every single month and there is not a time that we don't spend a portion of the conversation on my all this family stuff. No, I am again, and I found my family at what, 47? Yeah, I think 47 like grown for real kids out the house life is stable i'm good and i i was a hot mess
1: that's just the whole word i think i love the way that you put it the idea that something good yeah you your behind because we're not thinking about that Mm. we're thinking about what could go wrong we're thinking about the negative emotions but this could actually be you know, this is a piece of your story, your chapter that you get to have yeah. that. And so that is exciting. That is good news. Right. But it could take you out.
2: <laughs> it, it can literally take you out. And and I just didn't know that. And it's funny, I'm just thinking about it. As I'm talking to you right now, I'm actually in Buffalo right now. Again, I was born and raised in Rochester. That's where my adoptive family is. My biological family lives in Buffalo. And so I've been here I don't know, like five weeks now, maybe like between both places. So it has given me a chance to spend more time, you know, because my father lives here. My maternal grandmother is alive, which is crazy. Why is she 99? The orchestrator of my, why, why is the orchestrator of my adoption alive? You know, that chick, You know, let's tell the truth. Uh, you know, all my first cousins, I have, um, two nieces, two nephews, three great nieces, like all of those people are here. So I'm literally in Buffalo right now. And I have begun to. Well, really from the beginning just spent a lot of time because I live in Atlanta. So it's easy. I like to come here, spend some time and then I can get to go home and kind of protect that space yeah. to keep that normal. And that has helped me that it's all separate. Mm. It would be difficult for me if I lived here. I have to say that I, I needed that separation to kind of keep everything as normal, as close to normal for me as I could.
1: Hmm. I never thought about that
2: perspective. Oh yeah, no, that separation has helped me a lot. Yeah. So I can come into it, oh, okay, this is good. Now then I can go back home. Hmm. Yeah, so that's helped.
0: I would just hope that the audience that's listening tonight would take some of your words and also be empathetic toward adoptees and not just the audience. Please. I, I want to even specifically call out like birth families, adoptees. families, like you, you have to understand that while all of this can be phenomenal and great and when you're on that search reunion process particularly like if people want to bring you in okay so we not right situations where it's like ah we're good i'm good right right want to bring you in and just how emotionally draining one is mm-hmm. but then two have you experienced times where it's like okay this is great but i don't feel like being bothered today like i could really just kind of be like you know what i, I can't oh, yeah
2: like I have had to say it and even um, you know to specific people even to I remember having to say it to my biological mother like you know what I gotta kind of pump the brakes on all this this is this is too much and, and it's not saying that I don't like y'all like I, I just this this is too much for me right now like I, I gotta kind of handle this a little differently there's one of me There's a whole bunch of (laughs)
1: y'all.
2: Yeah. Come on, people. Think about that. Yes. There's only one of me. And then the other thing too that people have to understand, as the adoptee, I felt a sense of responsibility to handle things the right way with my adoptive family. Because I knew going into it, I already knew what relatives were going to have an issue with it. I would have bet money my relatives who were going to have the problem. And of course I was right, but having to be intentional where I'm trying to manage my own feelings, not realizing that my adoptive family, some of them were having some, an emotional reaction to this too. Like, okay, it's cool. You met them like, okay, I let everybody go back to normal. Like, you know, we ain't got to really do this. You know, this is cool. Like check that box, Janai, keep it moving. So, you know, I did, I felt that kind of playing in the middle of it. And, you know, my, I needed my adoptive family to know that I needed this time. So again, just kind of, again, managing it all, my, you know, my, my biological mother side of the family is small. There's a lot on my father's side, Lord, <laughs> there's a whole bunch of them just trying to, again, I'm happy. It is, it's kind of like being a celebrity in a way. You know, it, it's just this rush because you're, you're the new person, you know, and you're the new one with the crazy story, too. Yeah. So I'm just like, OK, y'all, I just got to kind of slow walk this. I had a guide, though, that I'm super grateful for who kind of helped walk me into this. I had a cousin, Tina, who kind of introduced me to people in phases. So instead of being like, OK, I'm going to meet all these people at once, I'm like, I told, I can't handle that. So you 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 determine, no matter to me who's like phase one, phase two, phase three, phase four, let's kind of slow walk this because that is manageable for me. I know I can do that. I can do that. So there's just little things like that that have helped me. So it, it has it has been a lot. It, it has been a lot, but I'm grateful that my kids are grown too that they can say, hey, I'm like, look, y'all, you all can have a relationship with whomever you want. If you're not rocking with them, cool. You have no obligations. I'm not looking to reclaim my proper place in this family here. Mm -mm. Don't give me no responsibilities. I don't want no title. Don't give me no job. I don't want none of that. No, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: I'm not here to reclaim that. None of that. So I, I need to be more neutral that way. I'm, I'm not, I, 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 cause I, I can't handle it. You know, I, I just, I can't handle it.
1: Do you have siblings?
2: Okay. Uh, now I'm glad you brought that up. Now I have to admit in my head, and I don't know if you all did this too, I'm sure that you did. Um, In my head, I did not realize I had a story about who my biological parents were. You all probably didn't the same because you didn't find out as early as I did. So in my head, I had this story about who they were. Everything from what they look like to the type of life that they were living now. So when I met, when I first saw the picture of my biological mother my husband is like oh my god you look just like her i'm like that's not her because the image i had of her in my head did not look like her when i saw her and so in her it's so crazy her hair is cut short like mine and i'm like why is her hair short (laughs) Like in my head head, i knew she was going to be this light-skinned woman but i just saw her like with all this hair i'm like who is that that can't be her like what, what, what what's going on here but in my head she had children and I'm the only child that she ever had
1: mm, wow mm.
2: and that was tough for me as a mother because I think in my head I just felt that you know she had a chance because um I was born when she was only 16 mm-hmm. so I just thought maybe she got on her feet went to school got married you know had the picket fence and the kids and she never got married or had kids so I'm the only child that she ever had and that was difficult for me that was very difficult for me my father only had one other child who's a year younger than I am but um, I found my family in April of 2017 Um, my brother was murdered like February of 2018 I never met him Mm. we we never ever met so In my head, I thought I had all these siblings and I only had one who's deceased. So I never got to meet him.
1: Now, where was your younger brother that you grew up with in all of this journey going through?
2: Oh, okay. So my mom adopted my brother Joshua again. He was four when my mom got him. I was 12. My mother was like, I do not have the energy to start over again with a baby. Because she didn't adopt me until she was 30. And um, so you'd think she was 42 when she got my brother. And um, from the beginning, there were a lot of challenges. You know, he had come from foster care, of course. And um, it's funny, though. He also came from Buffalo, where I, where I was from. which is typical, you know, Rochester children got sent to Buffalo, Buffalo kids got sent to Rochester, that whole thing. But anyway, he always um, was always in a lot of trouble, had a lot of problems. By the time I went to college, he actually wasn't even living at home with us because of our age difference. And because my brother ended up not being at our house anymore, because he had always gotten into so much trouble, so, so much trouble. So we didn't have that type of relationship and rapport. And as I began to find my family four years ago, my br- that brother was also already deceased. So he never got to have that chance to put his story together and, and find his family. He never did. Let's take a moment of
1: silence for him. Do you... And of course, I mean, you can't speculate, but do you think his early beginnings, just with foster care and all of do you think that kind of played into?
2: Absolutely. There's no question about that. And and again, I can't prove that, but I do. I think so. You know, my brother had a a crazy story. His mother, you know, of course, was young and um, she... One day she went by her girlfriend's house and said, Hey, you know, I have to run some errands. Will you keep Joshua? And she never came back. Mm -hmm. And so her friend ended up keeping Joshua for, you know, they say up to a year, but social services had over a year of his life that they couldn't even account for. They could not even account for it. And um, I don't think he had a good experience when he was in foster care. Mm -mm. and so there was a lot he came at four he had a lot of baggage he had a lot of baggage and um so two very different experiences my mother got me when I was 10 days old and so I don't want to I don't want to be this negative commercial that oh my god older children you know they're always a problem because that's not true that was my brother's particular situation but I do I think he that had a lot to do with um um how he turned out and also his lack of connection with my mother too you know again my mom was an educator had worked around kids forever i literally think she thought there wasn't a kid that she couldn't get to Mm -hmm. you know i just think she i think she thought that she had mastered it but yeah my brother was a challenge
0: i'm just thinking about siblings as we're we're talking about them so it's like it's so important for us initially on the search and reunion process to find who created us right but then i'm listening to you and kind of like that feeling of man like where you know where the the siblings you know at and like essentially like being this only child in mm. all of it literally talk to me or talk to us <laughs> <laughs> about Um, how you think a sibling or siblings may have contributed to like a different sort of experience for you throughout this process? I think I
2: was just trying to fill a need. I just think because of never having, again, being eight years older than my brother, him coming when I was 12 and he was four, uh, and you think about we're already kind of worlds apart that way. I think I was really just trying to fill that gap of that relationship that I wanted. That close sibling relationship that I wanted. So again, it, it just never occurred to me that I wouldn't have siblings. Like to me, that was just automatic. Like, of course I, I have to, you know, of course, my, my biological mother has other kids. She has to. And when I learned she didn't have other kids, I was like, you have got to be kidding me. Like it just, I, again when the story didn't add up with what was in my head that's what kept throwing me off I wasn't just kind of open and like oh wow let's just kind of see how this goes I had kind of decided what how things were going to be and um, hence the reason why I needed a lot of therapy too and when things weren't lining up with my story that created challenges for me I remember <laughs> I love Willie Moore Jr. He he would always tell me he would always say how he thought um, Lisa, Lisa from Lisa, Lisa in the cult jam. He was like, Janai, I at least thought she was my auntie. I was like, where did you get that from? Uh, uh, That's funny. He would at least, he was like, we had to be related. Um, I know somebody in LA who's also adopted. She's a little bit older than I am. And she would say, you know, I always thought that um, um, she was like. I always thought that Billy D. Williams was my father. And I was like, what? <laughs> so I never picked celebrities, but a lot of these and Diana Ross was her mother. I was like, girl, you were crazy. But
1: you watch <laughs> I,
2: I, she's been. I'm like, girl, Mahogany must have been your movie for real. Like, <laughs> but it's funny, adoptees that I know that knew that they were younger. I didn't realize that they had been picking people. And I never picked a person, but I kind of picked, I made people. Mm -hmm. And my mother was nowhere close to the person that I made. My father was nowhere close to the person that I made. So when it wasn't lining up, I was like, what is going on here? This is crazy. Not realizing that I'm the one who created the fake story and this is the real over here. So it took me a minute to process
0: that. Yeah, that's also one of the reasons why I asked you about the sibling piece, because I don't know about you, Sanji, but I feel like when you look into the face of your siblings, not only do you see yourself, but you see your parents as well. So it's almost like you get this other version Mm -hmm. of the story. So it's like, you can look at the parents, but then like looking at siblings, you see something different, you know? Right, right.
2: And it's funny that you say that too, just this past weekend, I was with my my niece, my three great nieces and my youngest nephew. So, um, So again, my brother had four kids. And as I was with them, we were out of town together this weekend, just really trying to pull that from them, you know, just really trying to get a sense of him through them, and, you know, really trying to get another perspective on my father's side of the family through them, so I'm just grateful that I have the opportunity to have a relationship with them, his kids, and and his grandkids, since he and I never, um, you know, we didn't connect it, (laughs) Um, that story oh my god y'all that that's like a made for tv miniseries you know? <laughs> <laughs> Woo, girl and I tell you that one is a lot but it is my my the the crossroads of my parents is is insane you know my um obviously all stories are a little debatable my father did not know that I existed until I found him so yeah that that was a whole thing you know, he was shocked. He was shocked as hell, actually, when I found him. He he couldn't believe it. I mean, he wouldn't even talk to me for over a month when I found him. Because he, he just couldn't grasp the fact, you know. So, you know, it, it's a lot to it. You know, the, the story's deep. But of course, it has to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, something had to be going down at that time. You know, something was going down. Wow. Yeah, but to hear my grandmother tell the story, because you think my mother got pregnant at 15, she had me at 16, and to have, see this handler, you know, handle it, you know, that was a time when young mothers were getting sent away still, you know, so my biological mother was sent away to one of those unwed mother programs in Rochester, and to see my grandmother facilitate that, you know, and make that decision and, you know, let me kind of get this all cleaned up here real quick so we can get back to, you know, what we need to do.
1: What has it been like trying to build a relationship with her? My grandmother? Yeah.
2: Oh, she's, I mean, I I swear I feel like I've known her my whole life. Hmm like seamless, like we, like from the day I met her, we have been in a rhythm, you know, just very strong. She's, you know, you know, that's a whole different generation. You know, my grandmother's 99. She still lives at home by herself, still cooks her own meals, still Mm -hmm. handles her own business. Like she, like she's that type of chick, but, and I could see her handling the situation the way that she did and but we have this very natural beautiful rhythm it has just been so easy from day one like we have just we've been clicking literally ever since I love that. oh yeah no it's, it's been it's been really really good I'm I'm just feel grateful you know that she lived long enough for me to even have a chance to know her because clearly at her age I met her when she was 95 years old <laughs> wow. you know she could have been gone, been, been gone. gone, been gone, yes, yeah. so no, I am super grateful, now we have a great relationship, and um, again, really just happy that I've had a chance to get to know her,
1: that's a beautiful blessing. I want to ask you, have you always been vocal about your story, like publicly vocal, so even though your adoption was normal in your family, growing up, all, all of that, from a just life, social media standpoint, have you always been forthright with your Always.
2: In college, you know, it's funny, one of my best friends from college, she's another person that I interviewed, she adopted her son. Um, That's what she said. She'll never forget, I I went to North Carolina A&T undergrad, and she just, she said, she'll never forget our freshman year, like, within a very short period of time of knowing each other that I was talking about being adopted. Like I've always talked about it and I don't know why I just, I, again, I didn't, I never thought it was a big deal, but I've always been vocal about it. And I also always have felt like I was saved from something. I've always have felt like literally like adoption saved my life. And I did, I just kind of felt like I got a second chance. yeah, you know, I always felt like I got it like I got that chance like I you know a lot of kids don't get that chance. Right. you know you were just born into some crazy you know what, and um I just felt like I don't know why that I was removed from some real craziness and had an opportunity to be adopted into a very stable, loving family. I would not be here without having had that opportunity. So yeah, I've always talked about it. Now I have a different focus and intention. Before I just thought it was normal. Now, again, I want Black families to know that it is an option. I want people like us to know that we are normal and we are okay. I want women who are equipped or capable of keeping their children to have a birth plan. You know, I, I want them to know that they do have an option, you know, other than trying to raise a child that they're just not equipped already, you know, to have. So I'm like, if we just keep talking about it, I think we all know what our real options are and, and what our opportunities are within adoption.
1: What would be your advice to, and not just to adoptees, but anybody who's in this Black adoption constellation who doesn't feel as comfortable sharing their mm-hmm. story because you you're very comfortable sharing your good friends with willie moore jr he's an amazing right. seller and so right. us as podcast hosts and instagram live hosts everybody isn't always ready for that like oh my right. god mic is on am i gonna sound crazy
0: you right
1: know, what what would you say say to just kind of encourage someone to share their story, particularly if their story involves adoption?
2: Yeah, I, I guess for those of us who aren't comfortable, it's like, why? You know, I guess where, if it's okay, if it's not bad, then why can't we talk about it? You know, like what, you don't hide things that are good. You know, you don't tiptoe and like, shh, wait, 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 wait. You don't do that with stuff that's good. So to me, to hear you say that, it, it must mean that something is wrong, you know, or something is bad. And um, I, based on my life experience, I, I don't understand that. I, I honestly, I, I can't conceive that. And I'm, and I'm sure just like in any family, you know, and people, that's why it's always bothered me when you hear people say, you know, they don't believe in adoption because you don't know what you're going to get. I'm like, listen, <laughs> I have had two children and several times through raising my kids. I'm like, where did these children come from? <laughs> like, you are killing me right now. This kid, I have said it about both of my kids. They cannot be related to me it's not they can't be related to me acting like this it's this not possible you know like what we doing here so Where
1: did get this from <laughs> what, what,
2: what 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 are you doing like this is crazy so i just think you know i just want to know the why people feel that way like where's where's the shame what's the underlying story one thing i just thought about though is you know i got pregnant in college with my oldest son and it's funny you know I got pregnant at 20 and of course when you're young you know it's it's a crazy thing you know you're trying to get your life started um, and now that I'm older so of course you know my kids are 26 and 30 and a lot of my friends you know they have young kids and now all my friends are like oh my god Janai you are so smart <laughs> Basically saying I was smart to start having my kids early. I'm like, nobody said that when I was 20 and pregnant in college. (laughs) You know what I mean? So to me, it's that same thing. It's the perception. But my mother told me when I was pregnant at 20, girl, I promise you, you are going to be winning leader. Like she just flipped it for me right from the beginning. Instead of like, what are you doing? This is crazy. I promise, when I told my mom that I was pregnant my junior year of college, our conversation maybe was 10 minutes long. Mm. Oh, okay. So you do about what, oh, okay. So, okay, here's the plan. You're gonna sit out this semester. You're gonna take two classes here. You're gonna be right back in North Carolina A&T and we're not even gonna talk about this anymore. That, that's the plan. Like she was done. Like she could normalize anything very very quickly and so i just think that's what you're supposed to do you take this big thing being adopted being pregnant being whatever and my mom just had this gift of just saying you know what Mm -mm. no we're just gonna flip this and we're gonna turn this thing into a good thing so i was able to flip these things into good things for me
0: that's the epitome of resilience it's like any sort of setback is like all right let's just keep it moving.
2: Let's leverage up. How do we leverage up on this for sure?
0: Yeah. Snaps from Ms. Beverly. I know.
2: I know. I know. know. Yeah, she was. Yeah, she, she was before her time. You know how they say how certain people are before, she was before her time, but I am super, super grateful to her cousin, Sarah Lee, who was also an educator who had adopted two kids. And I think my mom just saw that and Sarah Lee was the same thing, had that same type of strength, you know, did her own thing, cut her own path. And my mother just had the perfect role model in her. Mm -hmm. And so I think she just modeled the behavior and the strength that my mother was going to need. So my mother just took it up a level just by doing it single. Because uh, Sarah Lee was married, of course, because you think her kids, um, if I'm in my early 50s, her kids should be like in their early 60s now. So my mom, she just had the, you know, Sarah Lee set the tone for my mom of, of having options. And she just like, you know, we're we, we going to be all in. We're just going to do this and, and keep it moving. So, Well,
1: we want to salute the amazing trailblazing women like Sarah Lee, yes, like Beverly, yeah, and you are their legacy. You are also trailblazing. Thank you for using your voice. Thank you for using your platforms. Like, look, we could talk about money, but guess what? <laughs>
2: we gonna uh, we're going to talk about this too. Yeah,
1: because money is also complex. It's another thing that we don't all.
2: Oh yeah. Think. It's the same
1: so the two go together very
2: well I'm telling you I promise you it's almost the same type of psychology it's the same thing it's like how are you going to approach it what decision are you making about how how you want this experience to be in your life because we get to choose you know you know we do we get to choose so I uh, I think my mother just gave me the freedom of being able to choose, like how I want this to support me in my life and not be a, a hang up or, or, or a thing for me.
1: And let that be a takeaway for tonight. As, as adoptees, we always hear a narrative of being chosen.
2: Oh my God, Maybe for sure.
1: A reminder of...
2: Oh God, yeah, yeah
1: shoes choose and we get to take these pieces and do with them what we will and in your case make something beautiful out of it so yeah thank you Janai thank you for sharing your story
2: thank you for having me and I am I am grateful as as an adoptee I'm really really grateful for the work that the two of you do and using your stories telling the truth and creating a community and, and, and a place For us you know you know so Willie Moore Jr he talks about it's almost like kind of being having your own gang you know (laughs) having your (laughs) (laughs) gang gang yeah (laughs) so but we we do we need it you need to see yourself in someone like okay you know we have this in common with each other okay they understand a, a part of me so it is important so I do I appreciate the work that you all do and anything that I can do to help support in any way, I'd love to help.
1: Thank you. We we'll appreciate, appreciate you too. that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Thank, yeah.
1: Thank you all for listening and going back to the beginning. We'll see you next time. Peace out. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of Black to the Beginning, the Black Adoption Podcast with Dr. Sam and Sandria. If you want more Black to the Beginning, follow at Black to the Beginning and hashtag Black and Adopted on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.
0: If you would like to share your Black adoption experience, check out our Instagram at Black to the Beginning and click the link in our bio. Remember, The black
1: adoption conversation is the black family conversation. These discussions can be difficult, but necessary for generational healing. Let's keep the conversation going for the culture.